But I think it's just important to take a balanced view. Um, you're never going to, I think I mentioned 2020 vision, perfect vision. Um, you never have perfect information. So, you know, it's better to take action and, and plan around, um, you know, what the potential scenarios are for that action not being the perfect action at the time. So, you know, that for me is kind of what I live and breathe by. Um, uh, and, and that really sort of takes a lot of advice that I've received over the past. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Great Business Minds podcast, the definitive show for the business of digital infrastructure. I'm your host, João Marques Lima, and I use my experience as a digital infrastructure journalist to dig deep into business issues, but also get to know those who build our digital world. At Great Business Minds, we would like to welcome our new sponsor for this year. GBM is now brought to you by Prescal & Co a leading award-winning City of London law firm, internationally recognized for its expertise in the digital infrastructure industry as well as the telecoms and tech sector work more broadly. Whatever your legal or regulatory needs are, including outer space, Prescal & Co LLP can support you, so do feel free to reach out to them at prescal.com. In this episode, we get to talk to someone who is driving pure play investment into digital infrastructure across the board. Richard Sem is a partner and head of Europe at Global Infrastructure Fund Painting Infrastructure, where he spearheads the Global Infrastructure and Real Assets Investment Team leading its European investment activity. Founded in 1982, Painting has total assets under management and advice of 89 billion US dollars. Since 2009, the firm has completed more than 160 infrastructure investments alongside more than 50 asset sourcing partners. The Global Infrastructure Investment Team, where our guest sits, operates just south of 20 billion US dollars in assets. Richard has 25 years of experience in infrastructure, private equity, corporate finance, and project finance at leading institutions including Infrared Capital Partners, HSBC, ABN AMRO, and BNP Paribas. Richard's experience spans investing in primary, secondary, co-investments and direct investments across all infrastructure subsectors and global OECD markets. He holds a Bachelor of Science and MBA from Imperial College of Science, Technology and Medicine and joins me now from London. And Richard, let me start by saying that A, this has been a super interesting year for digital infrastructure with so much committed capital um, and investment going into this, this space. Uh, but B, it has also really been an interesting year for Paintian which has grown tremendously, and um, I mean, it's grown its investments into digital infrastructure tremendously as well. Um, so welcome to the show. Before we jump into the industry itself, because it's quite a budgeting market at the moment, and uh, painting especially through Pint, um, is doing a lot in this sector. Um, tell us about your, your own journey. How did you start? Where did you come from? Um, and how did you ultimately got involved with digital infrastructure? Well, well, thanks. Thanks for having me this morning or this afternoon. God, I, sorry, I don't know. Is it this morning or this afternoon? Right now, it's afternoon where I am. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. Sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna start again because um, uh, otherwise uh, it won't translate very well. Um, I don't do many podcasts. I do a lot of um, webcasts, yeah. not a lot of podcasts. Um, shall I just kick off again? Uh, yeah, I, I can ask you the question because it's easier then to um, do think. I'm just gonna stop the the. No, actually, don't worry. The file is not too big, so. Okay. Um, so, Richard, thank you so much for the time. For, for... Richard, thank you so much for taking the time to speaking to me. Um, it's a pleasure finally having you on board uh, with our show. Um, before we jump into the market and what's happening in the digital infrastructure sector, 
because um, painting and you especially painting and, and through pints um, mostly you guys are very involved with the sector now and doing quite interesting stuff but before we get into that let's talk about your life journey where did you come from how did you start um, and then ultimately how did you get involved with digital infrastructure sure well thanks for having me today um I, I don't know where to begin um i was born in norway um if i'm going to start right at the beginning i uh, grew up in asia and different countries in europe so had a, a number of different sort of influences through time but you know my professional career really started in 95 where um i started in investment banking cross-border corporate finance um advising predominantly on infrastructure transactions so my, my my background is not in digital um so traditional infrastructure that was airports that was toll roads that sort of thing and um out of corporate finance then moved to private equity infrastructure um, I've been doing that for, uh, for 15 plus years now, uh, working in the infrastructure space for over 25 years. And, um, you know, really over the last, I would say, six or seven years, we've started to see digital become um, much more of an infrastructure play rather than a uh, telco or, or tech play. Um, so that's, that's really sort of how I fell into digital infrastructure as kind of a, a subclass within the wider infrastructure asset class. Like pretty much everyone in the space, um, you kind of landed on it. Um, yeah. Well, it makes up about half of our deal flow, so um, it's it's, yeah, it's wow. quite incredible how many how many deals do come across our desk in the space. Yeah, and I think more incredibly even is the the, the speed at which they came, because um, it was not something that was in the making for 20, 30 years. This is something that happened in the last five, um, a bit more than five years. Um, but that, that, that is very interesting. And what you said is actually it's a nod to what people have been talking about in the industry, which is the talent from other industries, more mature sectors coming into the digital space and really helping this sector really flourish um, and evolve to the next phase. Um, I mean, my, my next question would be around what experiences and people have influenced you. I think one of the experiences is actually having lived um, in so many geographies, um, which have surely have opened your eyes to many different cultures, um, especially business culture. But uh, I'll, I'll ask you anyway, what influences have you had over your life, uh, both experiences and people, um, they have shaped you to where you are today. Yeah, no, it's um, it's it's uh, it, it has. I think that international upbringing has been a major influence um, on on me, sort of generally, uh, and how I interact with people, and you know where where I've got to. Um, you know, having grown up five years in Asia and Hong Kong, each um, Holland, France, uh, Norway. And the UK um, has been a pretty pretty broad mix of countries. My wife is Spanish, um, so um, you know I've, I've also got a pretty strong affinity to Spain. It's probably my uh, adopted first country uh, for that reason. Um, so you know that just gives an appreciation for different cultures, different ways of, of doing things, um, and, and frankly, the language capabilities been pretty helpful just in terms of being able to connect with people, even if I don't do the whole business conversation. In, in the native language, it's just helpful for making that connection. And so that's always been um, you know, really important to me. Interesting. And then how would you say those, those experiences influence the motivation that you have um, to do things on a daily basis? Yeah, so um, you know, having an opportunity to, you know, to mix with different people that have got different ideas, um, be able to uh, execute on sort of a wide, wider geographies than just a single geography. I, I guess I identified pretty early on in my career that focusing on the Nordics may be a bit limiting um, given that it's quite a small market um, and um, small markets generally 
probably have more nepotism than than some of the larger, um, more dominant markets where um, you know it's more down to capability and uh, and possibly scale of equity check. Um, certainly in private uh, in the private infrastructure market. So you know that's that's certainly one feature um, that's um, been important over my career. When you say the Nordics are a small market, you're talking more about the private infrastructure in general or the digital infrastructure space? Uh, talking more generally, I mean, obviously, okay. if, if, if I look at digital, um, the Nordics are probably um, up there in terms of some of the, um, they've got the highest penetration levels uh, when it comes to uh, fiber, fiber to the home. So um, certainly not just from a digital, but just more generally when I started off my career. Um, it was certainly a sense that that was a, a relatively small market. Yeah. I just want to clear you up because the Nordics are quite big in the data center space, digital infrastructure space. So if we didn't clear that up, you might get a lot of comments in the, sec- <laughs> in the comment section <laughs> with people a little bit angry. <laughs> um, but that, that's cool. Uh, and then, so, I mean, you work in a space that requires a lot of thinking um, and the generation of new ideas, especially when it comes to capital. Um, and capital is always changing, especially nowadays with what we're going through and we, with what we're going to go through this year. Um, in 2023, um, how do you keep up with everything that's that's happening in the world today, um, and how do you generate ideas around that? Okay, um, a few embedded questions there. Um, Sorry, it's a lot. <laughs> it's quite difficult on a on a Friday afternoon. Um, so, you know, first of all, I think it's about the team that you've got around you. Um, you know, nothing nothing is about sort of the single person and what they achieve. It's about having a good team around you. So. You know, we've got a team of almost 30 people at Pantheon focused just on the infrastructure space. Um, so I think that's um, that's you know, really important. The investment committee, eight members on that investment committee have an average of 21 years experience. So uh, again, you know, having seen what happens through the cycles, um, you know, being able to bounce ideas off them, work with them, I think has been uh, you know, really valuable, not just um, in terms of the investment decision-making, but also sort of more broadly in terms of how we approach the strategy um, of the business more generally. So, um, you know, that's um, that's kind of how you know my my process works is to try and work with other people as much as possible, socialize the ideas. Um, but equally, you're never going to work with kind of perfect information. No one's ever got 100% information on at, at any point in time. Nobody's got that 2020 vision. So, you know, what I think um, is important is actually to be decisive enough to take action at some point in time and you know just live with the consequences and, and adjust and, and try and anticipate maybe where issues may come about certain decision making in future hmm. I, I like your point around the 2020 vision um because we often come across that and especially in the digital infrastructure space there's a lot of flack there's a there's a huge lack of data um hmm. on a lot of geographies and markets and even within the, the companies that operate within it um, things are changing, but this is still quite this quite a lot of dark holes um, in these spaces. Um, yeah. And then one question that I like to ask everyone, because I think it's quite it's quite a simple question, but it's a question that's quite nice to hear the answers from. Mm-hmm. Um, what's non-negotiable to you when you go into to a new job, when you go to a new project, when you when you go somewhere w- within the business world? Mm-hmm. What's something that you do not compromise on? I guess it's got to come down to kind of integrity, uh, fairness, um, broadly kind of the ethical position we're taking in terms of what we're doing. Um, that for me is really important, not just for me, but also I guess as a firm wide ethos. So um, you know, strong, 
strong approach to everything that's um, environmental as well, which, you know, um, is something that everybody talks about. But I mean, I think you, you need to look at that seriously, uh, just given kind of the current world we're in. And um, uh, the headlines over this Christmas vacation period have not been particularly uh, enlightening with, uh, with just some of the, um, you know, some of the hottest year on record uh, or hottest months on record. People have been trying to ski over the Christmas vacation have, have not had much success, um, given some of the temperatures, um, particularly in, in Eastern Europe. So, uh, yeah, it's those are probably some of the things that are important to me, non-negotiable. When you when you have 39, 40 degrees in London, you know something's very wrong. Um, but yeah. uh, it, it's interesting. I think you are the first person to ever answer environment in this question. Um, so well done to you, because I think that's quite an important aspect um, of the, the day and age that we live in. Um, and then I, just to kind of start closing now, the, 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 this part of the podcast where we learn more about your person. Um, let's talk about when things don't go right. So tell us about one experience in your life. It can be any time of your life where something did not go according to plan, something didn't work out, but then how did you spin it into a positive? So we have, um, I've, I've been involved with an asset that went into administration. Um, fortunately, it wasn't our asset, it was somebody else's asset. It was a toll road in Australia. Um, it was a cross city tunnel. It uh, was back, I'm gonna say in about early, maybe 2010, some, some, something like that. Uh, this was a toll road that, uh, Cross City Tunnel was a toll road going from Western Sydney and dumping traffic down into the CBD. Um, the asset went into administration and there was a bid to acquire that asset. Um, we bid for that asset, we were not successful. Um, uh, we were gonna recap the business and um, we were quite a way behind the successful bidder. and. You know, I was kind of kicking myself thinking, did we miss something? Should we have you know, pushed the boat out a bit more in terms of the debt, putting more debt on the asset or, or, or taking a more aggressive approach maybe to the traffic volume growth? And I know this isn't a digital infrastructure, um, but, but it is certainly something I think has a lot of merits in terms of as we thought about digital infrastructure investing going forwards. Um, what I think is really interesting is the second bidder for this asset. So the first owner of the asset who built it um, went into uh, administration. The second acquirer of the asset also went into administration. So um, I, I'm quite glad. Bad luck. I'm quite glad we dodged that bullet. And and I think what's really interesting is the traffic levels. So um, the forecast traffic levels when they opened the toll road for free were at about one third below the base case after full ramp up. Um, after two weeks or so of operating the road for free, they said now we're going to introduce our tolls, and the traffic fell another third. So um, about a two-third overall drop in the underlying traffic levels. So overlaying ramp-up risk, traffic risk, volume risk, non-contracted risk with a kind of greenfield venture capital type uh, situation, I think that's where you can really run into some problems. And you know, for me, that was a really important lesson. Uh, and I think something that comes up time and time again, as maybe some of the younger guys in the team are bringing opportunities to committee and you know this is what i guess one of the lessons that we can um help um you know bring 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 some of those experiences to bear with um uh with with those people you know with those team members that maybe haven't lived through a crisis or, or lived through an asset that's gone into administration because of overbidding over leverage 
But that's a very interesting example. And I know you said it's not this infrastructure is up, it's not a toll road in, in Australia, hmm. but um, it's. I don't think it's hard to imagine that happening within the digital infrastructure space in the coming years. I mean, mm-hmm. do, do you agree with that? Do you see that, that I, I don't even know if I could say like, do you think it will happen or what's your view? Like how, how do you think, where do you think the industry is in, for something like that to happen in this space? So we, we only do a very small fraction of all the deals that come across our, 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 our desk. Um, and we have kind of this double filter, which I think is really interesting because we co-invest alongside some of the top tier sponsors in the industry. So we've kind of got the big top tier GPs, sponsors, screening deals, executing those deals, bidding for those deals. And then we will co, um, co-invest alongside them. So we're also selecting the best deals from the best managers and then trying to pick those best deals again. So you kind of got this double filter. Um, so, so far, touch wood, um, we have avoided, um, we've avoided any sort of, sort of big issues like that in the digital infrastructure space, but we've certainly passed on a lot of opportunities that we felt, dem- you know, had some of these VC-like venture, um, you know, new management team, nice plan, but not necessarily execution uh, supply chain in place to be able to make that happen. Um, and I know it will happen because I received an email very recently um, saying that one of our sponsors was abandoning uh, a fiber deal recently. So um, yes, it wow. is happening, um, especially these smaller alt nets overlay the current sort of tightness in the credit markets. And you've got these management teams that can't access credit anymore. And if they can't access their capital, they can't execute on their business plan. So smaller, less well-capitalized businesses will suffer in this current environment. Wow. Okay. So I was thinking of in a few years time, but um, if it's already happening, that's quite alarming. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also a market readjustment in a certain way, yeah. um, especially taking into account everything that's happening. But uh, b- before we go full on into the digital infrastructure space, one last question about you. If you could have done one thing differently throughout your career, what would that thing be? I'll give you two. <laughs> um, I'll give you a, so professionally um, and non-professionally, I should listen more. Um, I think that's something that comes a little bit with age uh, and maturity um, and experience. Um, The team is obviously bigger than the individual. Um, So, and if you want to implement things, you know, the the softer skills, I think take time to develop. Nobody really teaches those softer skills properly. Um, We spend so little time developing softer skills compared to your technical skills, for instance. So that's, I think, one thing I wish I'd known about earlier on in my career. Um, I also wish I'd spent more time with the family. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate my, my kids have grown up. Um, they're still quite young, though. Um, they're both at university, and you know, I have a great relationship with them. So I don't think any, should we say, damage was done by maybe not being around so much in the younger years. But... You know, I was hugely focused on my career. The family were very supportive of me during that time, but it was difficult. It was a really difficult time. Um, you know, having to having to be away from the family, traveling all the time, working long hours, very long hours. Um, yeah, it's not easy. Um, it, it is something, especially for young uh, young families. Um, mm. it, it is quite hard. Um, the world was not built to let you enjoy that time as much as you should, mm. um, and and like especially pre-COVID. Um, I guess it was even worse. Nowadays, it's a little bit easier to spend more time with the family, but 
yeah. uh, pre-COVID, I'm sure it wasn't. And uh, and on the first point, I mean, I think it's very humble and novel of one to even admit like, I should have listened more. Um, so even if you didn't, it's just admitting it is quite something quite big. Um, so thank you for sharing. Um, and then, so if we go now into what we call the second part of the conversation, so mm -hmm. where we talk more about the industry itself. Um, so you can say, with no more personal questions. Don't worry about that. Um, let's <laughs> Sorry, so out of my comfort zone, to be honest, not normally having to answer these sorts of questions. Well, exactly. And that's exactly the point of us doing this as well, to kind of get to know the people behind um, the, the, the brand um, and also get to know them from a different angle. Um, but let, let's talk about digital infrastructure. This market, I mean, as I said in the, the, the opening, this is a budgeting marketplace everything is happening um even with these conversations around looming recessions and wars and energy crisis the market is still growing there's a bit of there might be a bit of a slowdown and i'll ask in a second if you agree with that or not mm -hmm. um but the market is still growing it's still one of the real estate in markets um global markets that's performing the best um so my first question to you would be how do you describe characterize um the digital infrastructure marketplace today and what are the opportunities yeah, look, I, I think I said at the beginning of the uh, of, of this conversation, digital has been sort of about 50% of our deal flows. So, you know, it is, it's just a mass, massive tailwinds generally across the digitization of pretty much everything. Um, we've got a really interesting mix, diversified mix of telco towers, data centers, um, fiber, fiber opportunities. So it's just an enormous investment opportunity generally. Um, I think given where some of the multiples have compressed, if we look at the public multiples, you know, where they've compressed to now, I think means there's some, there's some interest in the valuation environment is probably a little bit more interesting right now, um, which uh, makes this probably a better environment to be in than say a couple of years ago. Um, but, you know, on the flip side, there's risks and uh, we can, we can talk about that in a minute, but in terms of opportunities as well, um, decarbonization. So I think, you know, this is there's a massive, massive investment need. Um, it reaches across all of our investment subsectors, including digital. And like we've got a responsibility to to help deliver net zero, and, and that starts with capital allocation. So you can't you can't say that hey, this operator is not doing the right thing. You've got to, you've got to lead by example. So um, um, you know there's there's a number of a number of things whether it's Purchase, you know, entering into PPAs for 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 um, for power from renewable sources, through to finding better ways to cool your data centers or or or, or battery storage solutions to to power your your mobile tower. So there's a number of opportunities out there that can be done um, from an environmental perspective. Um, I think the other opportunity is investing in big platforms. So platforms that have got um, good management teams. Those management teams can then you know, use their existing assets, use that knowledge, use that supply chain, use that buying power um, to be able to source uh, both their own organic growth, but then also think about um, potential inorganic growth opportunities. And that comes down to kind of availability of credit and whether there's an opportunity right now to, um, you know, acquire um, assets at much more attractive valuation multiples. Um, so, you know, those are, you know, those are, those are a few of the themes. Um, the other one would probably be deglobalization. Um, so um, GDPR rules have obviously led to, 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 to more requirement to have data um, in the country it's being used, um, which has been talked about quite a bit. And so, you know, looking at all of that, looking at um, availability of supply chains um, for fiber, 
Um, a lot of column inches around that. You know, we actually see this as an opportunity because the big platforms can take advantage of their of their um, buying power and supply chain management. Um, and then all that drives obviously to um, you know a need to find innovative capital solutions. And you know, there are many borrowers that are being crowded out of the markets. And I think we can find ways of you know um, finding opportunities to through MA or through um, you know, through strategic you know, growth opportunities um, for, for that asset base. So we're pretty excited about the opportunity um, and, and probably see it as a better place to be right now. Okay. There's a lot to dissect there. I mean, from supply chain to climate to um, to challenges and risks. Uh, I, I think on the risky points, I think risks also makes things a bit more worthwhile because if everything mm -hmm. was easy, then it wouldn't be as, as fun, let's say fun to do it um as if it wasn't but yeah. um maybe the, the the first question i actually want to take out of the way you mentioned investing in full platforms mm -hmm. so one of the things that people are talking about is that this year we're going to see a lot more investments in um, individual assets so instead of buying full-on brands you buy part of the brand mm -hmm. um do you think that's going to be something that we're going to really see in 2023 you still think we're going to see this big flashy um mega m a's happening Look, I think we'll still deal flow across across the piece and the slightly different drivers. I think if you look at the volume of capital that's been raised in the in the infrastructure space more generally, um, you know, raising about 150 billion a year. Um, so even though we maybe have a slight slowdown in the fundraising environment, we will see. You know, there's still a lot of dry powder out there looking for a home, looking for a place to invest. Um, combine that with reduced public market multiples, I think we will see some pretty big flashy um, uh, take privates. Um, so yes, I, I do see that as a theme that will continue. And it's, it's more attractive valuations now than it has been, as I said, um, for the last couple of years. But equally, the smaller businesses that are less well capitalized, as I said before, will, will act as, a, as an interesting sort of M&A opportunity. But, but you know, make no mistake, but there's the Deal flow will be less this year than it than it was last year. That's um, that we already saw that play out in, in Q4. Interesting. Um, and then I guess building up on that as well, because that's kind of one of the reasons why this all happening. Um, let's talk about the challenges of 2023. I mean, as I said, there's there's a war, there's a power crisis, um, there's a, a looming recession. Because according to to all the analysts, it's still not here, but it's coming. Um, but also it might not be as bad as it was. That's that's why everyone said Golden Sachs and Merrill Lynch and everyone over Christmas. Mm. Um, they kind of painted a bit of a better picture than we could have had. Um, how do you see the, the digital infrastructure environment kind of navigating this uncertain period? Uh, look, I, I've been working 26 years now and I've never seen an environment like this um, and back to back, right? You know, COVID, you know, first of all, pre-COVID, we thought, hey, there's a bit of an asset bubble. Then there was COVID. And, you know, we also own airports within our portfolio, within our wider portfolio. So you can see how, um, you know, there was quite a lot of asset management um, work to be done on those airport portfolios. Um, and then obviously Ukraine and the energy crisis and, uh, and now inflation. So, you know, it, it just feels like, the crisis seems to be the new normal. Um, so I think, you know, as I take, as I take some of those in, in, in turn, um, rising commodity prices, you know, that's, we don't like to take commodity price risk in infrastructure. So, you know, higher input and supply chain costs are definitely a key feature. So 
finding ways to manage that um, energy cost risk, particularly at the data centers is going to be really important. So typically we are using kind of pass-through mechanisms to our end clients. Um, fiber availability, again, lots of column inches uh, written about sort of availability of fiber. Uh, I think, again, the larger well-capitalized companies are well-positioned to, to make sure that that's, not a, that's a non-issue for them. But we are seeing those price increases come through. And, and I do think that's going to lead to some of the small alt nets um, failing um, for that sort of combined higher interest rate environment and, and higher cost price environment. Um, inflation, maybe turning to inflation, um, definitely, uh, definitely higher for longer. Um, quite sticky um, and you know that's something that is relatively new for a lot of people because they haven't sat in this sort of inflationary environment um, but you know investing in real assets investing with assets that have got pricing powder pricing power that have got kind of a, a strong um, monopolistic position or, or through contracted inflation increases um, I, I think that's you know, really important. So I think infrastructure assets can be a, a, a pretty good way, investing in infrastructure assets can be a pretty good way to navigate a higher inflationary environment. Um, and then interest rates, I, I guess, is the other key one. Um, you know, they're not actually that high. They're just high from a, from a recent experience perspective. Um, we're always looking at downside protection in our underwriting. So we're looking at what happens if the interest rates for the refinancings increase, what does that do to our exit? Um, you know, our exit assumptions. You know, how long can we lock in our financing for? Um, you know, I think that's really important. And then, you know, to my earlier point around the toll road, don't stick too much leverage on your asset. You want to maintain some capacity within your capital structure uh, to be able to grow the asset into the future. Hmm. So, I think your point as well. Uh, sorry, we can no, say no. something. Yeah. Um, I, I think a point about people having no experience something like this is quite important because there's a lot of new people that have joined um, the market since the last crisis. Um, even though a lot of people went through the COVID periods, it was not what we're going to leave this year. Uh, but then also even for the market itself, especially markets like the data center market, which at the last recession, um, it wasn't really a huge industry. Um, the industry really flourished over the last five to eight years. Um, in 2008, there was only the few big players like Equinix, Digital Realty, and some of the other guys that already got acquired by those. Um, so it's going to be an interesting year to see how things play out um, and how the market behaves and teaches itself on how to deal with all this. Um, but then my main question would be now a bit of a, a journalistic, dramatic question. So are we kind of heading towards a, a year 2000 style tech, tech meltdown? Oh, I think this is a very different environment, right? Um, back then, a lot of the business plans were not proven out. Uh, people were just buying the dream. Um, I think now it's really sort of economic reasons, supply chain issues that are driving some of the issues we're seeing. Um, I mean, valuations were high. I think they've come off significantly. Um, but the current environment should actually see, a, a, and COVID in particular, has driven a sort of an acceleration of the digital strategies across all businesses so you know i think one of the stats i often rely on and quote back to my investors when i'm speaking to them is you know the exponential growth in in, in mobile data traffic 40 percent growth between q121 and q122 i mean that's um that, that's pretty phenomenal um and then you know covid working cloud services video gaming all of that is just driving 
uh, massive investment need. Uh, fiber and 5G rollout, again, just driving a massive investment need. And, you know, we've, I, I just, we just think this is a great space to be in. Uh, and then that's across towers, it's across data centers, it's across fiber. All three have slightly different risk profiles. If we can invest in all three in different geographies, build up a diversified risk pool, then, uh, you know, we're not exposed to any single geographic um, GDP um, sensitivity and, and, and investing across the three different areas provides a different risk and adjust, a risk adjusted return um, outcome. So my question would be, if you had to choose right now in this day and age to be working in the digital infrastructure space or be back um, on the wide infrastructure space, which one do you feel safer to be in in 2023? Digital. <laughs> I'd have to say that, right? So you're going to get a lot of fans with that question, with the answer. <laughs> you know, you know, and, and, and maybe giving a bit more um, reason for that answer. I mean, I love airports. I've always loved airports because they're great assets. There's so much you can do with an airport. Um, you know, we've all we've all been using airports. We all like, we all think and know how they work, um, but there's just a lot of levers to pull. Um, and you know, they're a lot less susceptible than say airlines in a, in a downside in a recession. You know, COVID was kind of well, hopefully a once in a lifetime type risk. You know, we'd look at we'd looked at SARS. Um, we'd looked at uh, 9-11, we'd seen all the other big risks in the transportation airport sector. Um, nothing played out like COVID. It's, you know, that's still probably my close second. Okay. Um, and then before we jump into painting and uh, pint, mm -hmm. um, what top three tips would you have for this infrastructure guys? So more, more on the operator side um, in terms of doing their job properly when it comes to finance and investment. Um, so strategy, business, culture, anything mm -hmm. related to finance and investment? Yeah, um, cash flow. And you know, that's, that's my number one thing we're focused on uh, when we look at assets. So focus on the underpinning of that cash flow, the resilience of that cash flow. Uh, make sure you've got um, substantial contracting um, of that cash flow um, with, with, credit cap, with, you know, with, with good credit counterparties so that you can kind of create a portfolio of, of, of downside protection within your asset base. Um, I've seen too many businesses that kind of build it and they will come. Um, so that's probably my first one. Second one's got to be inflation just in the current environment. How do you deal with inflation? Um, have you got a natural hedge to rising inflation? Um, have you got that pass through? And if you have got that pass through, what's the credit counterparty look like? And then you know, can you keep passing that through? Or if we have a sustained, very high inflationary environment, at what point in time do, do we as the owners of the assets have to take some of that pain? And, you know, what's, what's the offset against that? So, you know, possibly what you do is say, look, I'll take some, I'll take some of that short-term inflation pain, but what I'll do is I'll increase the length of my contract with you or, or something like that. Um, that's two, isn't it? Um, and then yeah. third, it's got to be leverage, right? Because um, I, I gave you the example of the toll road earlier. Um, leverage over levering the assets is one of the biggest risks so you know have a look at you know make sure you've got capacity within your capital stack to uh, to be able to affect growth uh, be able to deal with uncertainty because one thing's for certain there's a lot of uncertainty and it's one thing that we were dealing with before covid mm -hmm. um, during covid then it became a massive thing and then even after covid as you said it's been back to back 
um, uncertainty does not stop growing, um, yeah. especially in the European continent, yeah. um, which then diverges into other markets. Um, but now let's talk about painting, because what you're doing, it's, it's quite interesting as well. You're quite recent, you're quite new into this space, mm -hmm. um, the digital infrastructure space in the bigger scheme of things. Um, but talk us through what, what is the strategy and the strategy with Pint as well, which is the fund they used to, to fund these, these deals. Um, tell us about what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so. Pantheon as a whole has been investing in digital infrastructure for some time through our private equity portfolios. So um, before it became infrastructure, it was done out of our uh, private equity portfolio. So um, we, we back some of the mobile towers and data centers from early on, but, but still, you know, in the last 10 years, not, um, not going back further really than much further than that. Um, you know, what, we, what we're trying to do with, with Pint uh, and, and, and Pantheon with its strategies more generally, is build a global developed markets portfolio of diversified exposure to both regions, um, to the sectors and to you know, the sponsors, the partners that we work with. So that, um, and then through time, you know, tilt the portfolio um, to get, you know, to achieve the best uh, risk adjusted return um, that we can for, for our investor base. And, you know, we're not wedded to any single subsector, so I'm not wedded to digital. If the digital, if I if I look back 18 months ago, two years ago, we weren't doing much in the digital space because we saw it as overvalued. Um, so having the flexibility to pivot to fit where we find the best relative value, I think, is um, you know is is a is a key uh, a key differentiator for us. And having that diversification globally um, by subsector again is 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 really important. Um, I think the other thing we're really focused on, if it hasn't been abundantly clear from what I've been saying, is you know, trying to find defensive characteristics within the assets, looking for contracted cash flows, looking for that inflation linkage, looking for conservative leverage profiles, and then obviously with a strong ESG overlay. So you know, making sure that we're doing what we're doing responsibly. Hmm. Um, actually, you mentioned overpriced, the sector was overpriced. Were you shocked by some of the multiples um, of, say, the last two, three years of some of the deals? I don't look too closely at multiples. Um, multiples <laughs> is that is that the polite answer, or is that actually? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it is a bit of a polite answer. Um, value is in the eye of the beholder. Um, you can you can pay for a platform and and then buy an extremely good management team that can then go down and you know right now buy a whole bunch of opportunities at significantly lower multiples um, and if you don't have that management team and you're executing a small buy and build strategy that takes time and has a lot of execution risk because you maybe don't have quite the same experience as the you know in the operations as when you own an asset and a management team and if you don't so um, you know I think that's and multiples don't show you, you know, what's the growth profile of the underlying assets? Um, you know, have they done a whole bunch of CapEx recently that hasn't actually been reflected in their EBITDA? So, you know, we see that a lot of the time. The press always focuses on multiples, but really you need to be looking at the cash flow modeling. You need to be looking um, at, you know, where the business plan is, how much of that how much of that cash flow is contracted? Because if I got another 100 million of, of EBITDA coming on stream next year or a whole bunch of data centers that are nearing completion or fully contracted for 15 years with a, with a hyperscale, then, then, then of course I'm gonna pay a high multiple for it. But if I built a data center and it's just come on stream and I have no clients and it's colo and you know, that's, that's a different story. So you, you, really have to, you really have to look at what the underlying asset is um, 
um, to to really have a full appreciation for uh, for the value. Okay, and um, one thing that you keep mentioning is team, especially when it comes to these deals. Um, so, would you say that the team behind the business, when you look into investing, uh, or when someone looks into buying something, they should look at? Um, are the teams one of the biggest assets that you get when acquiring something? So, would you say climate teams, and then of course the, the business strategy itself and the cash flow? Yeah, I mean the the. the... The management team in particular are the ones that are executing your uh, executing and, and, and stewards of your capital, right? So um, you need to make sure they they can they can execute on that strategy. Um, at the end of the day, as a, as a as a board member or as a co-investor, the best we're doing is, is 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 you know we can we can direct strategy, we can, but but it's that management team that's responsible for the execution. Um, so the exit, the, the management team, and, and then obviously the sponsor that we're working with, um, you know, those are, those are the smartest guys in the room and we look to, uh, align ourselves with them. And, um, as I say, uh, a pine put that double, double filter, um, on the opportunities that we're looking at. Okay. Um, question. So do you, as in Payton and Pine struggle to find talent, um, to, to, to work within your digital infrastructure realm, um, even the companies you work with. Do they struggle as well? Is there a real issue for you too? It's um, it it has been a very tight labour market more generally, um, and you know, forty percent growth in, in in data traffic and and the uh, massive capex growth that's come up behind it. It, it there are, there is a shortage, um, um, or there has been a shortage of of, of good talent. Um, I think going forwards that may alleviate a little bit. Um, with a UK, you know, based here in London with a UK hat on, and I don't want to get all um, political, but, you know, I think some of the consequences of Brexit have, have led to a reduction in availability of, 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 of good talent in, in this country, as a lot of people have headed home. Um, overlay with that, um, uh, the high inflationary environment, it's, it's, it's a difficult time. Um, I do think that 2023 could be quite a different environment and I think you mentioned some headlines around some large investment banks um, that have been looking to, to trim staff. And, you know, we've seen exactly the same at all the big tech companies, big headlines, and just massive, massive volumes of, of layoffs. So it's a tough, it's a really tough environment right now. Um, so I think it will alleviate, but um, it's a tough environment for people that are caught up in that. It will take a while. I mean, we, we are recording this within 24 hours of Amazon announcing 18,000 people are going to get the job. So yeah. um, it is it is a tough environment, um, especially in the tech space. Um, but then I was going to ask, so as Paintian, what geographies are proving most attractive um, when, when you look at the market, digital infrastructure market? Um, so we've, you know, I, I've had a history of investing around the world, um, but predominantly sort of global developed markets, OECD. Um, and that aligns with what Pantheon's investment remit is. So really, it's kind of a, a Western Europe, North America uh, type investment remit. I, I think there are interesting opportunities, very interesting opportunities more broadly across some of the more developing markets. Um, however, I don't think the, um, the risk, given there's quite, quite significant amounts of local capital to back some of those opportunities, I don't think um, that the FX risk uh, and FX volatility is sufficiently compensated for making investments in that space. So um, we've seen plenty of good deals in local currency terms, but then not translate very well um, in, um, 
in sort of denomination of, of our investors' capital. Um, and, and look, you only need to look to the UK and, and some of the massive swings that have happened in the UK. So it, it's not that um, it, it's not just um, uh, limited to developing markets. I, I think the UK is quite a, an extraordinary example um, with everything that has been going on <laughs> since 2016. Um, but uh, and then, so to, to close off our chat, because this is really interesting, I could carry on talking to you for a long time, but I'm sure you've got better things to do um, other than chatting with me the entire afternoon. Um, the last two questions, I ask the same questions to everyone. Mm -hmm. um, so the first one is, what is the best and the worst advice you've ever received uh, throughout your career? And that could be personal or career-based. I probably have plenty of both. It's difficult to really pinpoint a single. Just <laughs> try to one. pick up the most. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, I think it's just important to take a balanced view. Um, you're never going to, I think I mentioned 2020 vision, perfect vision. Um, you never have perfect information. So, you know, it's better to take action and, and plan around, um, you know, what the potential scenarios are for that action not being the perfect action at the time. So, you know, that for me is kind of what I live and breathe by. Um, uh, and that really sort of takes a lot of advice that I've received over the past. Um, some of the worst advice probably is around being more mercenary in terms of trying to get a higher salary or, or, or trying to, you know, make moves for the wrong reasons. Um, fortunately, I've, I've, I've managed to duck those, but, um, you know, that, that's probably some of the worst advice I've received. That's interesting because it also is kind of a, an old fashioned way um of looking at business um the the, the last example you gave mm. um and then the, the last question i've got is what's your favorite quotes by who and why mm. so um there are so many quotes to pick from um <laughs> I, everything it, it, as i see quotes the ones that resonate with me are the ones that you know, are about sort of seizing life seizing the opportunity just get done basically um so you know as i think about that there is one in particular and i think it comes and it, I think it overlays with kind of some where we see some of the, the current uncertainty and um, it's all about grit. It's all about, as I said, get done. So um, Thomas Edison said many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to the success when they gave up. So, you know, that kind of resonates with me pretty well right now. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Actually, I read that quote last week. Um, it came up on Instagram. Uh, in one of those like inspirational um accounts that it's anyone follows really um and they should really feel they fail just because they don't just give their push um, and sometimes you're so close just in one final push and people just put the arms down um but that's yeah i, I agree with you um and i like the quote you chose uh but rich and sam partner at painting ventures thank you so much for talking to me it's been a pleasure um i could chat to you the entire afternoon about market and everything else and to our listeners, thank you for tuning in and don't forget to review and share this episode and follow the Great Business Minds podcast on all your favorite streaming and social media platforms. You may find the links in the podcast description. Thank you again to our new sponsor, Prescott & Co., a leading award-winning City of London law firm internationally recognized for its expertise in the digital infrastructure industry as well as the telecoms and tech sector work more broadly. Feel free to reach out to them at prescott.com if you require more information. To subscribe to the podcast and we invite you back again for the next episode of the definitive show for the business of digital infrastructure, the Great Business Minds podcast. See you then.